Chapter Five of the Quest of the Sacred Slipper by Sax Romer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: The Occupant of the Box. Dimly to my ears came the ceaseless murmuring of London. The night now was far advanced, and not a sound disturbed the silence of the court below my windows. Professor Deeping's Assyrian Mythology lay open before me. Beside it, my notebook. A coal dropped from the fire, and I half started up out of my chair. My nerves were all awry, and I had more than my horrible memories of the murdered man to thank for it. Let me explain what I mean. When, after assisting, or endeavouring to assist, Bristol at his elaborate inquiries, I had at last returned to my chambers. I had become the victim of a singular delusion, though one common enough in the case of persons whose nerves are overwrought. I had thought myself followed. During the latter part of my journey I found myself constantly looking from the little window at the rear of the cab. I had an impression that some vehicle was tracking us. Then, when I discharged the man and walked up the narrow passage to the court, it was fear of a skulking form that dodged from shadow to shadow which obsessed me. Finally, as I entered the hall and mounted the darkened stair, from the first landing I glanced down into the black well beneath. Blazing yellow eyes, I thought, looked up at me. I will confess that I leapt up the remaining flight of stairs to my door, and, safely within, found myself trembling as if with a palsy. When I sat down to write, for sleep was an impossible proposition, I placed my revolver upon the table beside me. I cannot say why. It afforded me some sense of protection, I suppose. My conclusions thus far amounted to the following— the apparition of the phantom scimitar was due to the presence of someone who, by means of the moonlight or of artificial light, cast a reflection of such a weapon as that found in the oblong chest upon the wall of a darkened apartment, as Deeping's stateroom on the Mandalay, his study, etc. A group of highly efficient assassins, evidently Moslem fanatics, who might or might not be of the ancient order of the Hashashin, had pursued the stolen slipper to England. They had severed any hand other than that of a believer, which had touched the case containing it. The Coptic porter was a Christian. Uncertain possibly of Deeping's faith, or fearful of endangering the success of their efforts by an outrage upon him en route, they had refrained from this until his arrival at his house. He had been warned of his impending end by Ahmed Ahmadine. Who was Ahmadine, and who was his beautiful associate? I found myself unable at present to answer either of those questions. In order to gain access to Professor Deeping, who so carefully secluded himself, a box had been sent to him by ordinary carrier. As I sat at my table, Scotland Yard was busily endeavouring to trace the sender. Respecting this box, we had made an extraordinary discovery. It was of the kind used by Eastern conjurers for what is generally known as the box trick, that is to say, it could only be opened, short of smashing it, from the inside. You will remember what we found within it? Consider this with the new fact above, and to what conclusion do you come? Something, it is not possible to speak of some one in connection with so small a box, had been concealed inside, and had killed Professor Deeping whilst he was actually engaged in endeavouring to force it open. This inconceivable creature had then searched the study for the slipper, or for the key of the safe. Interrupted and trapped by the arrival of the police, the creature had returned to the box, reclosed it, and had actually been there when the study was searched. 
for a creature so small as the murderous thing in the box to slip out during the confusion and at some time prior to bristol's arrival was no difficult matter the inspector and i were certain that these were the facts but what was this creature i turned to the chapter in assyrian mythology the tradition of the hashishim the legends of which the late professor deeping had collected relative to this sect of religious murderers were truly extraordinary of the cult's extinction at the time of writing he was clearly certain but he referred to the popular belief or moslem legend that since hassan of khorashan there had always been a sikh al jabal and that a dreadful being known as hassan of aleppo was the present holder of the title he referred to the fact that de Sacy had shown the word assassin to be derived from hashishin and quoted el idrisi to the same end the hashishin performed their murderous feats under the influence of hashish or indian hemp and during the state of ecstasy so induced according to deeping they acquired powers almost superhuman i read how they could scale sheer precipices pass fearlessly along narrow ledges which could scarce afford foothold for a rat cast themselves from great heights unscathed and track one marked for death in such a manner as to remain unseen not only by the victim but by others about him at this point of my studies i started in a sudden nervous panic and laid my hand upon my revolver i thought of the eyes which had seemed to look up from the black well of the staircase i thought of the horrible end of this man whose book lay upon the table and i thought i heard a faint sound outside my study door the key of deeping's safe and his letter to me lay close by my hand i slipped them into a drawer and locked it with every nerve it seemed strung up to almost snapping point i mechanically pursued my reading at the time of the crusades wrote deeping there was a story current to this awful order which i propose to recount it is one of the most persistent dealing with the hashishin and is related to-day of the apparently mythical hassan of aleppo i am disposed to believe that at one time it had a solid foundation for a similar practice was common in ancient egypt and is mentioned by georg ebers my door began very slowly to open merciful god what was coming into the room so very slowly so gently nay all but imperceptibly did it move that had my nerves been less keenly attuned i doubt not i should have remained unaware of the happening frozen with horror i sat and watched yet my mental condition was a singular one my direct gaze never quitted the door but in some strange fashion i saw the words of the next paragraph upon the page before me as making peculiarly efficient assassins when under the influence of the drug and as being capable of concealing themselves where a normal man could not fail to be detected at this moment i remembered that my bathroom window was open and that the waste-pipe passed down the exterior wall the sheikh al jabal took young boys of a certain desert tribe and for eight hours of every day until their puberty confined them in a wooden frame what looked like a reed was slowly inserted through the opening between the door and the door-post it was brought gradually around until it pointed directly toward me i seemed to put forth a mighty mental effort shaking off the icy hand of fear which held me inactive in my chair a saving instinct warned me and i ducked my head something whirred past me and struck the wall behind revolver in hand i leapt across the room dashed the door open and fired blindly again and again and again 
down the passage. And, in the brief gleams, I saw it. I cannot call it man, but I saw the thing which I doubt not had killed poor Deeping with the crescent knife and had propelled a poison dart at me. It was a tiny dwarf. Neither within nor without a freak exhibition had I seen so small a human being. A kind of supernatural dread gripped me by the throat at the sight of it. As it turned with animal activity and bounded into my bathroom, I caught a three-quarter view of the creature's swollen, incredible head, which was nearly as large as that of a normal man. Never, while my mind serves me, can I forget that yellow, grinning face and those canine fangs, the tigerish, blazing eyes set in the great misshapen head upon the tiny, agile body. Wildly I fired again. I hurled myself forward and dashed into the room. Like nothing so much as a cat, the gleaming body— the dwarf was but scantily clothed, streaked through the open window. Certain death, I thought, must be his lot upon the stones of the court far below. I ran and looked down, shaking in every limb, my mind filled with a loathing terror unlike anything I had ever known. Brilliant moonlight flooded the pavement beneath. For twenty yards to left and right every stone was visible. The court was empty. Human, homely London moved and wrought intimately about me, but there, at sight of the empty court below, a great loneliness swept down like a mantle, a clammy mantle of the fabric of dread. I stood remote from my fellows, in an evil world peopled with the creatures of Hassan of Aleppo. Moved by some instinct as that of a frightened child, I dropped to my knees and buried my face in trembling hands. End of chapter 5